Hi everyone, this is Haley and you are listening to Straight Talk with the Doc. On this podcast, I talk with addiction medicine specialist Dr. Bott to break down topics on addiction, mental health, and treatment. So in regard to today's topic, a pretty common saying you may have heard is addiction is a family disease. Dr. Bott, what does that saying mean to you? Well, you know, Haley, addiction tends to um, be a disease that often resonates um, with similar individuals. And um, when we talk about relationships, we talk about families, we talk about uh, just genetics. You know, genetics is one of the biggest influences on if somebody's going to develop an addiction or not. So when we talk about addiction run, you know, a family disease, it it not only physically is something that somebody can um, pass down or or obtain from family members, but the psychological familial component of it that happens from just being around one another. You know, we do learn behaviors, habits, exposures based on those around us. So it is, it's a combination, you know, of, of genetic influences and just being around similar types of people. And if your family's using it's firsthand exposure, so learning early onset of substance use. And um, that's a huge risk factor for uh, later development of addiction. So it does run together. Yeah, it definitely affects everybody around the addict. Um, And, you know, family can be your sisters, your brothers, parents, your spouse, really anyone that you have a close relationship with. Um, When you, yeah, when you have an intimate romantic relationship, your lives become intertwined like family, which can be wonderful, but also destructive if one or both partners are struggling with drug or alcohol abuse. Studies have looked at relationships and divorces and how they're influenced by addiction. In one study I saw, published in the journal Couple and Family Psychology, substance abuse was listed as one of the most common final straws for couples that divorce. The two others on this list were domestic abuse and infidelity. Dr. Bott, in your opinion, how can substance abuse hurt the other partner to the point of being comparable to domestic abuse and infidelity? That's a big question because um, I think, you know, quickly, I don't think you need to be a doctor to, to probably draw certain conclusions that, you know, substances make us act, feel, and uh, behave uh, uh, differently. You know, substances hijack our, our bodies and our minds. And so, um, you know, when, when somebody is not just using the substances, but actually has suffering from an addiction, I mean, it, it, it affects multiple domains of their life. You know, um, they stop taking care of themselves. They start acting and behaving um, different ways. Um, they detach from their um, emotional relationship or their intimate relationship. Um, they can start acting angrily um, or physically abusive towards others. And by no means am I saying people who have addiction uh, have more or less. But what I'm saying is that the fact that you add a substance to a relationship, and especially if one person's doing it and it's not matched by the partner, that's where you often see these problems arise. And so um, you lose trust, you lose faith, um, the other partner sees uh, inconsistencies, and and how can somebody, you know, then um, continue to stay in a relationship when your partner is unpredictable, and that unpredictability is coming from a substance of abuse. And so it can destroy this, that relationship. And definitely, just like 
infidelity or, or you know, physical violence. Um, once trust is broken, it's often hard to repair those relationships. Yeah. You know, that's interesting you talk about kind of the unpredictability of when they're using substances because even if you, you know, love that person so much, they kind of become a different person when they're using, you know, depending on the substance. Yeah, for sure. And especially like, I'm going to bring up alcohol here because I think a lot of the studies and that have been done have been done with alcohol. And I use alcohol because I think it's one of the most disinhibiting substances that we have out there and the, mo the, the legal one, the one that's common. And, you know, a lot of relationships are often based on similar, you know, habits. You know, what do people like to do together? And if they're drinking together, it's one thing. But especially because alcohol is such a disinhibitor, disinhibitor for emotion, emotions. If you're angry and uh, you don't have a filter left because you're, you're drunk or intoxicated, you know, um, those feelings come out. Uh, people say things that they, they wouldn't have said and that are often very, very, um, you know, offensive or mean. And, and just uh, that could lead to physical violence. So now you not only have a pattern of this unpredictability from an emotional and behavioral perspective, but once that compounds and could lead to physical violence, then there's a there's an imminent danger that exists. And a lot of times we do see some significant, um, you know, physical violence occur to others and, you know, self-inflicted harm um, due to intoxication. And so um, definitely becomes, you know, compounding variables together. And um, it's, uh, it's even more destructive. Mm -hmm. So I see like how somebody could get maybe more violent or be abusive if they're intoxicated you know, towards their partner. But in my research, I also saw that you're more likely to be abused as well if you use. Why is that so? So, you know, there's a lot of um, dynamics involved in a relationship. So in a relationship, it depends if the relationship was founded on, you know, them drinking together as a couple or using substances together versus, you know, again, one using and one not. So a lot of animosity develops, a lot of frustration develops. And then, you know, if the person who's not using um, consistently is angry with the person who is, then, you know, when, when somebody's drunk or intoxicated, they're, they're often um, gonna become the victim because of their own behaviors that are gonna trigger that person's frustration and anger because now they're, it's that episode that they hate so much or they dislike so much that's going to trigger those individuals. And the psychology behind it is also that they, they can also be vulnerable. If somebody's so intoxicated to the point where they aren't able to behave or act in a certain way or even defend themselves, so they can actually be, um, you know, elicit a response that re where they become the victims. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a mixture of all of these things together where, um, you know, a lot of underlying frustration, anger is there. That's often the fuel um, to, to having that type of violence outburst. And often not just the person who's drinking, but the person um, who is the one who suffers from the addiction. So um, that does happen. And it's, it's unfortunate that um, individuals like that um, are susceptible to, to, to violence. Okay. I also want to talk about infidelity a little bit and sometimes you hear people use 
you know, being drunk or high as an excuse to justify their cheating. Is infidelity more likely in relationships where drug or alcohol abuse is present? It could be. It could be. You know, we, we tend to have intact cognition when, you know, substances are not there. Let's just take it at, at, at face value that once you add a substance, you know, those things that you most likely would do uh, in, 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 in sound mind, you would not do, um, you know, um, when you're intoxicated, you, you might end up doing those things. And so what ultimately happens if somebody is having marital issues, if somebody is um, having some relationship issues, that uh, when they're using substances, they could be placing themselves in situations where, you know, they are, are no longer thinking rationally. Um, unfortunately, we see a lot of times when people are intoxicated who might not even have a substance use disorder, who might be in, in a bar, in a restaurant, in, 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 a, in a club, where they unfortunately act on their dis disinhibited states. And, um, you know, they, they make errors in their judgment. And uh, as when, when, when sexual, intimate, uh, things of the opposite sex or sexual relationships that, um, you know, would not have occurred um, are being prevented by your intact mind. Well, when, when people are drunk, that's unfortunately, uh, you know, all bets are off. Things are, things are thrown out the window. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, and, and a lot of times people do um, end up going to, to use mm -hmm. in relationships when, when um, things are not right. They, they use that as fuel to go out and, and, and act out on those things. So the, it acts as a rationalizer. So if I have a problem in my marriage, a problem in my relationship, and I kind of use the excuse um, that the marriage is a problem, and I, because of that marital issue, I'm going to go out and drink, well, I'm going to go out and drink, and then I could be putting myself in a situation that I might, you know, compromise myself and my judgment and I'll act out on, on uh, certain impulses. And um, we see that happen, unfortunately, all the time. Uh, that does not mean, though, uh, and we're not saying that people who suffer with addiction uh, are going to be um, having affairs or uh, have more infidelity, but definitely the risk is there. Um, and and, it, and it, if you have any substance on board to act in a way that you wouldn't act normally. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So also when I was reading, I saw that there is a link between marital dissatisfaction and alcohol use. Uh, why do you think that might be? People suffer with substance use disorders. They, they drink often as a coping mechanism. And so if you're not happy in, in any aspect of your life, relationship being a huge part of one, we might drink to just get by, to just deal, just tolerate with that, with that dissatisfaction. And then it's a vicious cycle. So if, if one person is unhappy in the relationship or both are unhappy in the relationship and then they're drinking as a result of it, well, then we, again, have the problems that come with the drinking too. So the fights, the arguments, the stuff that might be contained when we're not drinking um, lead to further drinking. So it, it is a vicious cycle, unfortunately. So the dissatisfaction goes up. And, um, you know, we, we see it last, obviously, sometimes relationships are based on um, drinking together. And I've seen many people have substance use disorders and, and both partners are alcoholics and, and, and they get by just on the common 
threat of being alcoholics. And, and when they seek sobriety or become sober, then they have to face each other in reality. And then often the, the relationship disintegrates. So it's, it's, it's kind of ironic yet that sometimes, yeah, the, the common thread can be the substance of abuse, but then it also can be the common problem. So it really is, it's unique to each, each, each relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, going back to kind of what you first said, that's almost like, you know, is it the chicken or the egg of, you know, am I drinking because I'm unhappy in my marriage? You know, am I unhappy in my marriage because I'm drinking? <laughs> it's interesting. And, and the fact that that applies to any part of addiction, you know, we know that people who suffer from substance use disorders are getting into more problems as a, as a consequence. Part of the definition of addiction as a whole or looking at it as a concept is that it causes problems in multiple areas of your life. Not just multiple, it could be in any major area. But the point is, is that, um, you know, it doesn't have to just apply to relationships. Uh, but I always tell my patients, the more you use, the more problems you're going to have. And I know that sounds simplistic, but it's the, it is the truth. But because and I bring that up only because many times when we suffer with substance use disorders, we are seeing what we're drinking because of. You don't understand, Doc. I have to do this because of this. I have to because of my wife or because of my husband or because of my job or because of my kids or because of this, that there's always a because of. And yet none of those things have gotten better because I ended up using. If anything, further negative consequences happen. So um, I just I bring this up only because it doesn't apply just to relationships. But when we look at the concept of addiction as a whole, it, it relationships with being part of people's lives. Um, that's the point of, of why we say addiction is it's so destructive because there's it's nothing is preserved. It, it definitely will affect every part of your life. Yeah. And like you said, you know, you've seen couples who both use together and that's kind of what keeps them together. Have you seen that people with a substance use disorder seek out a partner that also uses? So, yeah, we'll talk about like early relational studies that that happen. And those have those have demonstrated that people, especially when they're dating, they often are going to date, they're going to socialize, they're going to do things. And because they, they, they're singular at that time, see, there's there's that concept of, you know, marriage being or, or being in a relationship is being protective. And that's because there's there's multiple things involved there. Uh, the dynamics of, you know, looking at yourself as as you increase your surface area, you know, you're no longer thinking just for yourself. You have to worry about yourself. You have to worry about your, your, your partner and you're, you're less willing to take risks because you know that now I'm looking out for uh, two people. And so, um, you know, and I bring that up is that when we first get together, that singularity, even though you start developing the relationship, you know, you're, you're taking that chance. You might want to socialize. You might want to go out and, and drinking is often a part of it. And for many people, it is a social lubricant to actually uh, facilitate certain parts of relationships that might be uncomfortable in their early stages. But as we go along, you know, we, we see the evolution um, occur, you know, as people start to look out for each other, um, then, you know, then we can see changes occur. And then that, that drinking patterns either can change or they can stay the same. Now, like we, like we mentioned before, if people do have substance use disorders, though, um, if it is the common thread, 
um, you know, people can look back because that was the origins of the relationship is what started them, um, end up keeping them together. And um, so, again, we see both sides of this. Substance use disorders generally tend to destroy people when um, one person is doing it and the other person is not, or at least a dissatisfaction. And if both are doing it, we tend to see um, similar patterns of, of usage. Um, but again, e each relationship is unique and, and uh, you know, it paints a different scenario based on the couple we're speaking. So in the cases of a relationship where one partner is using and the other one is not, what could be some signs that your partner is hiding or trying to conceal their substance use disorder from you? When you see changes in behavior, that's really kind of like a first sign. If you know what your par partner's like without being on something, well, when they start behaving differently, you know, it's, it's, it raises a red flag. So if they start hiding things from you, they're missing, um, they stop doing their responsibilities, they stop taking care of themselves, you start smelling, you know, alcohol, for example, is very evident. But, you know, if they're using marijuana or other things that might be smoked, there's distinct smells to certain drugs. But, um, you know, what we see general, um, generally, as it applies to anybody who suffers from an addiction, you know, behavioral changes, emotional changes, uh, responsibility, um, you know, being neglective of certain things. Um, all of those things are signs that, you know, substance use can be um, the underlying issue. Um, we can dig deeper, but uh, there might be more subtle things. But in general, it's, it's those major things that uh, often are the giveaways. Say, you know, it's a situation where one partner doesn't know that their spouse is using, but, you know, then they find, you know, a pipe or the bottles or something serious. Should they confront their partner? So confront seems to kind of conjure up this negative connotation, but um, it really depends on if it's the first, second, third time, um, you know, and, and the level of trust and the level of um, openness within the relationship. Uh, I don't believe or suggest that um, uh, a relationship would, would be healthy if you can't ask what something's about. Now, depending on, again, if it's the first time, um, you might not get such a defensive response. You might get, um, you know, somebody who's forthcoming. Um, it's also on the way, I think, uh, how you ask it, because if you ask it in an accusatory manner, um, you might not get a very open response. You know, people do get defensive yeah. and uh, how you ask. But if somebody's going to ask and ask, hey, I found this, um, if there's an issue, I would love to be supportive if there's something going on. Um, of course, nobody wants to be suggestive. So there's this, you know, there's a little bit of a limit on how much you should, you know, go into because, uh, you know, you don't want to just automatically assume that they have a problem. But if people are hiding pipes or significant paraphernalia, I mean, unless there's some novel collection going on of some other sorts, mm -hmm. um, usually those are signs of that somebody's using. I mean, um, so I think, the, the, the short answer is yes, you should ask them in an open-minded and as less confrontational manner as possible um, to hopefully elicit a, uh, an honest response. And, and that happens not just for a partner. That's how doctors or therapists or professionals or anybody should ask is, um, 
you know, most people don't want to be asked in the accusatory way, especially if they're hiding something, because um, they're often embarrassed. They're often feeling guilty. They're not feeling great about themselves. So um, asking in a supportive manner often gets a better result. Right. Yeah, because if you come at them, you know, angry or accusing, which, you know, I understand feeling that way because you do, you might feel a little bit of betrayal, you know, but they're probably going to get defensive. Yeah, betrayal is a good word because when you're hiding anything from your partner, especially if you're in a relationship where you thought everything was pretty transparent, I mean, of course, you're going to feel like you're going to feel a lot of hurt yourself and that's going to lead to a, a, an often an aggressive um, approach. So um, obviously, we're just making these comments in the event somebody who's in this situation is listening, um, that they, they do try and think before they act. And I know it's easier said than done, please. I mean, as a human being that we all have to struggle with how we, um, you know, monitor our emotions and reactions to unpleasant things. But uh, in a situation like this, you know, um, it's hopefully you can take a second to compose and, and try and put yourself in a, in a situation where you're going to get the best, honest uh, response. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that composure. That might be easiest the first time, but if it keeps happening, you know, the third or the fourth time where you feel like your partner is lying to you, they're telling you they're going to stop, but you keep finding things, you know, what do you do in that situation? I hopefully that those individuals have talked about it. Um, again, when you're now talking about the second or third time, you know, um, hopefully that they talked about what if would happen again. You know, there, there's there's boundaries and limits that people do set for uh, for each other. And often this is where the relationships start to fragment is because, you know, often they're told or given an ultimatum. That, OK, I'll let you go this time. But if this happens again, this is what I'm going to do. And, and this is where I think families and, and loved ones fall into the am I negatively reinforcing or enabling because I've made some sort of threat or consequence that would occur. Um, but instead, you know, if they look at rescue mechanisms, ways that we can say, hey, if this happens again, maybe we should seek help. And again, try and paint it in a positive way, not the relapse or the repetitive use, but that it won't be a punitive consequence. Now, that's 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 hard, right? I mean, because, you know, sometimes we the limits are set that, hey, if somebody continues to act in a certain way that's so detrimental yeah, it's unfortunate that they don't seek out help or act in, a, in, in, in the most healthy way to, I wish it was so easy that, hey, you know, the next time you relapse, how about we then go to rehab and then, then the next time they relapse, they go to rehab or they seek out professional help. But um, my point being is that look at ways to proactively help opposed to maybe act in a punitive way, because then, um, you know, you're not really solving the problem. It may work, but um, ultimately the goal is to hopefully get this person treatment or help if this person is suffering from a, uh, uh, an addiction or an underlying mental health condition or both that's leading to this usage. So being punitive without corrective is mm -hmm. maybe uh, a, a better way to go. So can you think of some kind of situations where, I know this would definitely depend on the couple and what's going on, but what are some times where it's just the right time to walk away? I kind of have this rule about safety, right? You know, safety tends to be this kind of like um, word that I, th I, I use for a lot of things. 
And so when, when a human being's life or somebody else's life is in, is in danger, I mean, that, that would really be a time where you need to not really have too many options other than you need to get out of that situation to preserve yourself and that person. You know, a lot of times being with each other in a, in a, in a negative state often leads to more anger and more um, behaviors that could be very destructive to the person using, the person not using, uh, or whomever. So um, I think that would really be um, my barometer is it, when safety is, is an issue, um, you definitely, I, I don't think you should be sticking around at that moment, um, especially because um, there's often not a way to get out of it without somebody getting hurt. So that kind of would really be the, 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 the point that I would use. But um, that doesn't mean, though, people can't get out earlier. Um, and you don't have to wait till somebody is um, beating the other person up or hurting themselves. You know, um, I, I think, you know, each individual is going to have their own threshold as to how long they want to stick around. But if it's, mm -hmm. if it's negatively affecting you physically, mentally, um, you know, often it's time to just step back a little bit and hopefully the other person can get help and the person who's uh, the partner in the relationship can get help themselves. And there are professional organizations out there that can help both, you know, um, in those situations. So, um, you know, but, you know, it's, it's hard. Like you said, it's, it's, it's unique to each relationship. But safety's my 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 big one um, in terms of staying or leaving. Yeah, and I think it's important to also build that trust within yourself to know that if something's not right and you know in your gut you know you need to leave to trust yourself to know that you're going to make that decision to walk away if that's what's best. Yeah, definitely, and um, it's hard. It's hard for a parent, or and again we're talking mm -hmm. about more intimate relationships here um, in terms of couples, but. Uh, this applies to anybody. This could be a parent and a child. This could be, you know, um, people who are siblings. This could be anybody that um, are, are close together that uh, you have to have certain things that you can um, uphold. And um, I think you said it well. If, if you if you set your threshold and it happens again, you, hopefully you're setting up yourself to be able to uh to act on them realistically. Otherwise, you're probably not helping that person. Um, and that's why I was saying before, whatever consequences or whatever things you implement, make sure you can, um, you know, uphold them. Right. It, th th those things can unfortunately, you know, backfire on you if you keep making those type of consequences and then, you know, don't don't go through with them. So as we all know, with our with like raising children, for example, that does that negative reinforces them. So uh, this applies similarly in, in these situations too. Mm -hmm. Okay. So kind of on the other side of that, looking at the partner who you know is in the process of recovery, how can they work on earning back the trust of their partner? I think sobriety and 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 working a a, a program. Or, or even just demonstrating that they're making uh, an honest effort of avoiding that drug or alcohol. You know, um, you know, it, it's very hard to repair certain types of damage, but we see it all the time that um, couples who um, see their partners 
uh, working very hard to, you know, working harder on the relationship for themselves as the patient. And, and as a whole, like I said, once you become a couple, it's not just a singular person anymore. We're, we're looking at a family dynamic and there are bigger consequences because our actions affect more than one person. So when the person has lost that trust, they start to see it that, hey, this person is caring for us as a unit again, as they care for themselves. And that could include a couple's children, um, parents. And, um, you know, th then usually, uh, hopefully, that's when somebody's no longer using that they start to um, gain that um, cognitive, um, positive, proper thinking again. And, um, you know, rational thinking um, will win out. And so they can work then on uh, the relationship itself. So all of these things contribute to um, gaining that trust, healing those wounds, and hopefully going back to what kept them or brought them together in the first place. And, um, but it's, it starts with, um, you know, removing the agent and, uh, and gaining sobriety first before you can work on all those other things. But um, yeah, and that often starts by getting treatment. If somebody's mm -hmm. strong enough to stop on their own, that's great. And, 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 and we probably don't have the statistics of how often that might happen around the world. But um, the point is um, you got to remove the offending agent and offer for, for any healing to take. And, you know, it's so important for both parties to just have patience because that's really key here. You know, this whole process of recovery, it takes time. You know, you can't, you know, be sober for a week and expect your partner to forget everything that happened. You, know, you just have to be patient. Definitely. And that patience comes with often understanding um, that this person who does suffer with a substance use disorder uh, has, a, has an illness. And, it, and, I, and I know that's often hard to tease out, right, when, when we're family members that, you know, because there's so much intertwined with that concept that, you know, it's easier said than done because you see so many things done, you know, purposefully and done with willfulness and willingness that it's hard for people to say, oh, my God, this is not the illness talking. This is just him behaving or her behaving this way. And um, separating the two becomes very hard. And then because all of that emotion gets enmeshed, you know, it, it's hard to forgive people or for, hard to, you know, um, look at it as somebody who's struggling with 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 an, with, with an illness or disease where if somebody was suffering from cancer or from from you know a cardiac condition sometimes it's more easy to digest the consequences that come from that and that's usually because they don't affect the other person as much or the unit as much so i bring this up is because that could contribute to the healing or the at least understanding part that leads to them being more patient to, you know, you know, allow the treatment or the recovery to take place. If you kind of look at it um, with that approach, opposed to just saying, hey, look at this person acting this way and they're doing this on purpose and they're doing this to harm me. Well, then your patience probably is going to get thrown out the window. Mm -hmm. That's true. And, you know, although patience is very important. I do want to jump back to kind of what you said earlier, just about safety. Um, you know, you should never risk your well-being if your partner starts 
acting abusively, you know, even if you want to support them, your safety is the first priority. You can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline for help 24-7 if you ever need to reach out. And you can also learn more about addiction and relationships at addictioncenter.com. Thank you, Dr. Bot. We hope to have you next week for another episode of Straight Talk with the Doc.